0: We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created.
1: You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think.
2: Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on South Radio Network. Uh, this week, we are broadcasting to you from
1: the internet,
2: or the interwebs, as other people uh, like to describe it. Um, as
1: opposed to last week, where we were broadcasting from
2: the interwebs. Oh. Yes, it's the same place every week. You can find us here on the interwebs, in that. Big scary place.
0: Hi everybody.
2: That big scary place. Hi everybody. That big scary place called cyberspace, where all truth and all lies exist simultaneously to fry your brain. And I course, think
1: most of the internet's porn, isn't it?
2: I have no idea, and I have no interest in knowing.
3: <laughs> so. Well,
1: this is it. We live in this tiny little sliver of it, and I think the vast majority of it's either porn or. <laughs>
3: Jihadist recruiting uh, yes. websites.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. By the way, it's not the true excuse. No, Maybe these, there are some Jihadist porn websites. Yeah, no,
2: let's not go there. These days, most of it is actually taken up by uh, Putin bashing by the Western media. At least a good percentage of it is taken up by bashing Russia uh, with increasingly inane and spurious allegations. Uh, the most recent one, Well, there's been several, but the most recent one being that from the uh, Pentagon, kind of officially, or semi-officially, at least a report that the Pentagon um, solicited from some kind of a psychologist-type person in America uh, for a psychological analysis of Putin, and she concluded that he had the disorder known as being a poopy head. Sorry, it's that he was autistic. Uh, He had Asperger's or hamburgers or I don't know which um, disorder, but basically that he's a poopy head. That's the kind of message that people receive. He's crazy and he's just stupid and we don't like him. He's bad. Bad Putin. You're evil. That's the kind of stuff we're having to deal with, obviously. And it doesn't say a lot about our glorious modern evolved highbrow civilization when... The pinnacle of the kind of, of Western society is coming up with that kind of uh, uh, dialogue, or a, that, that's diplomacy, basically. You know, calling the leaders of other major world nations'
3: names, basically. Sad, but there it is. Welcome to Planet Earth. Maybe uh, also a sign of desperation, because when your only solution is to go to to use name calling, it means that maybe you don't have much. Uh, solution uh, in store anymore. But Sounds more like Facebook, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's the kind of discussion that happens on Facebook. <clears throat> At the same time, there's been several cases, instances, where Western media were exposed to uh, depict Putin in a wrong way, false way. Uh, there was this episode where allegedly, according to La Repubblica, John, uh, José Manuel Barroso quoted Putin saying that he could take Kiev in weeks. And after Moscow threatened to publish the extensive transcripts of the discussion, the EU backed down and admitted that the words were taken out of context. First example. Second example, when the, um, the Polish foreign minister told Politico magazine that he overheard Putin suggesting a partition of Ukraine divided into two nations. Finally, the Polish minister... Recognize that those words have never been pronounced by Vladimir Putin. In the third case, um, concerning Sergei Lavrov, Russian foreign minister, um, where he was quoted, according to the Telegraph, a British newspaper, uh, saying, telling David Miliband during a telephone conversation, Who are you to F lecture me? And finally, Miliband, and Russian authorities so the two parties uh, mentioned that never food words were used during this phone conversation so western media and western politicians are being repeatedly proven wrong in their well, it's allegation concerning so Putin
2: events. It's, it's kind of interest well, it's not just <laughs> being proven wrong i mean it doesn't really get it it's it's and and the, the I mean, the way you've described it there is the way that the media describes the report, but that's not what's actually happening. I mean, Barroso claimed that Putin said he could take Kiev in two weeks. Yeah, And then later, Barroso admitted, this is, and that's what you just said, is that Barroso admitted that those words had never been spoken by Putin. That's not really what happened. What happened was that Barroso lied. Oh, yeah. Right, but you can't say that I admit that those words are never expo- spoken. I mean, what needs to be recognized by the entire world and needs to be in all of the the media reports on that story is Barroso lies. Barroso lied about Putin. Not that he recognized that those words were never... What kind of bullshit is that? It's, I mean, really? Something comes out in... Li- I mean, that doesn't happen in in normal human kind of society and civilization. That, that, that doesn't... That's not the way people characterize things because it's completely... It's just double speak and bullshit. I mean, yeah.
3: And it's when but, someone
2: tells a lie, ordinary people recognize it and say, yeah, he lied about that. They, they don't say, well, he has now recognized that what he said did not actually happen. No, they say he lied. Yeah. Why can't we say that about these people? Are they beyond, are they beyond lying? They're the ones who lie the most, but apparently we're we're not allowed or uh, in the official discourse, you're not allowed to actually say that the people who lie the most, that
3: they lied. Yeah, it, not only it's a lie, it's a lie, but in addition, or even it's nef- worse. nefarious. It's not know? even lies. It's putting evil words, evil thoughts in the minds of uh, world leaders. I mean, it's, it, it's it, clear it, At the level of ordinary
2: kind of discourse among ordinary people, that's actually as good as it would get if, he, if someone someone was to characterize him as, as having lied. They would probably say, yeah, he's a bullshitter. He makes shit up. So why isn't that on the papers? Why isn't that a headline? But also makes shit up. That's what that's what yeah. happens, and that's what that, at the level of the ordinary people here, that's the way it's discussed. That's the way people understand these things. But somehow, at the in the vaunted kind of lofty, rarefied air of politics, they have all sorts of different sanitized uh, euphemisms and and things to uh, to describe very mundane, ordinary things yeah. that everybody knows what they are. But when they describe them in these terms, it's almost like yeah, they didn't lie. He just. Uh, yeah. You know, he engaged in a dynamic narrative. <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: No, he didn't lie. It was a dynamic narrative. Dynamic
1: narrative. Yeah, the narrative was fluid, the flexible. Hell?
2: People need a good slap around the head, you know? they? do. That's the problem. They live in this in this bubble.
1: In in a self created reality yeah. where it's make believe and and it's astounding. I mean it it has some real world, you know, interaction where John Kerry would say something outrageous, either about Putin personally or about Russia as a whole. And then within the day, he's got to meet Lavrov and, you know, they do a little yeah stand together, shake hands in front of the press corps and everything's laddy fine. Well, it's not fine. What you just said was outrageous. <laughs> yeah. But
2: that's diplomacy. Yeah. That's the whole world of diplomacy, which is two-facedness, uh, you know, backstabbing, you know, and basically scurrilous kind of a you know, uh, relationship or scoreless, uh, you know, uh, personal relationships or, or attitudes or, or behaviour amongst uh, these people, you know, but they all put on a smiley face for the public, you know, they stand in front of the public. Like the other day, Lavrov apparently said to Kerry uh, when he met him, uh, and this is an example of the diplomacy. I mean, you can imagine. I don't know. Does Lavrov really think Kerry's an ass? Uh, maybe he does, but when he meets him. Apparently, the stuff that's reported that happened, the uh, exchanges between them include things like where he jokes and says uh, the kind of pointed jokes. He said that Lavrov mentioned the uh, recent Super Bowl in the uh, somewhere else Patriots. They were beaten
1: by the new. Patriots. Oh, sorry, were beaten by the Patriots. Yeah. So, and he said it's good to see. We're always happy when it's good. To, Patriots so beat <laughs> the Hawks. Hawks as and, in Warhawk, right? And
2: yeah. real Patriots, yeah, Patriots. And uh, and apparently Kerry said, "Oh yeah, I haven't. I didn't really think about it in that
1: way. But yeah, I suppose you're right. I I don't think Kerry understood no. this point. But he because yeah, he see and he just paused and went, okay, I'll take that as a compliment. I don't think he got it. Yeah. He
3: probably sees himself as a patriot, and the Russians as oaks.
1: It's it's hard. It's hard to say. I
3: mean, does he really believe half of Russia?
1: something like John Kerry is. The, the problem is that they get into this diplomatic slash world of subterfuge, and maybe they, they begin having a clear idea of where, of the way they see the world versus all the different kinds of dynamic narratives they're trying to juggle in order to reach a certain end goal. And I think they get lost. They quickly get lost. They, they, they no longer have a firm hand on what they thought they saw of the world, no longer sure what the goal was, And all the narratives that keep getting mixed up along the way, Um, you rapidly see them end up doing farcical things and and looking quite insane, to be honest. But for them,
2: it's all sane because, uh, as was reported in 2004 by uh, uh, a few years ago, I think, on uh, an interview in 2004 between Seymour Hirsch and some uh, Bush government official, well, that famous uh, comment from this Bush Government Official, where he talked about them being reality creators and that the rest yeah. of us would just be able yeah. just be left to judic- judiciously study the results of what they do. And by the time we have stud- we're we studying what they do, they'll have moved on and created new realities. Hmm. These people actually see themselves, because they're so consumed with power and the belief in their own power and their power to shape and change the world, uh, nothing is really of any consequence consequence to them because... They can just change it. No matter what happens, they can change the reality that they see it. Uh, and to a large extent, they are forming. I mean, a lot of effort goes into it with control of the media, etc. But they're forming a reality for the billions of people on this planet. And they are creating facts on the ground all the time uh, that uh, conform to what they want to be the reality. You know, if they want Russia to be evil, they will do something that will... Uh, to a large extent create the appearance that Russia is evil, but also on the ground they will make efforts to actually uh, create a reality, even though it's a manipulated false reality essentially essentially, they can uh, create facts, hard facts um, <clears throat> by for example doing something in russia in Russia's name or provoking Russia to trying to provoke russia and they do this I've so done this with other countries where they provoked other countries to react in a certain way. It's kind of that, uh, it's niggy shop, it's kind of grab me, gotcha, whatever you call it, where uh, you accuse someone of doing something and torment them so much that they act in a way that confirms what you're really accusing them of uh, all along, you know. You can apply this to Muslims, you know, the, the
1: demonization of Muslims uh, by, by the West, you know. and uh, Well, another classic example recently, John McCain, where you almost, you don't really, but you almost feel sorry for the guy when he, uh, you know, strenuously defends America's actions, you know, and that we should, we should, of course, arm ISIS. And, and he he just dropped that in the middle of this rant. Mm-hmm. But he was getting his narrative mixed up because what he meant was, we don't want to arm ISIS, we want to defeat ISIS, but we want to arm some other moderate rebels.
4: Or well, whatever. That, one, but,
2: that, that one's,
1: that one's open to debate. I
2: don't know because, sure, McCain is like an old goat and I don't know what's keeping him going, probably batteries or something at this stage, but he really should be <laughs> I've gone. He should be. He should be. They should put him back in his box. No, he should be out to pasture. Like I, I think I wrote this on Facebook. He should, he should have been gone out to pasture. He's an old goat, and he should have been sent out to pasture. And someone suggested pasture, like in, an, in a in a mental asylum. Yeah, well, you know, give him some grass in a in a mental asylum when he's on you know that. Well, alternatively, to atone for his past, he should be spent in his uh, twilight years <clears throat> over in Vietnam, trying to you know reconcile you know, what he did in Vietnam and the, the history he had in Vietnam, and we revisit that hole that he that he spent, that Putin said he spent several years in, and obviously that would drive anybody insane. That's what should be happening to McCain. But on the thing you're talking about, his comment about ISIS, he said that back in 2000-whatever, um, he said the entire, um, what was it, the uh, joint security or committee or whatever, all agreed or all suggested that we should arm ISIS. And he said ISIS. Did he mean the Syrian... The, the, the Syrian rebels or the free Syrian army because that's quite different you know I mean to mix up ISIS with free Syrian army is quite a stretch you know what I mean but maybe it's so confused in his head that he doesn't know what's going on but he there was another thing recently where he said the same thing I think this was a genuine mistake I, I presume uh, because he said uh, we need to the, the best way to force Russia to back down over Ukraine is to send lethal uh, aid, uh, weapons, to to Moscow. Uh, you know, so I'm assuming... He, Moscow, Kiev, it's all the same. It's all the same to him. You know, it's just, you know, go massive and fix the facts around the policy and get it done, you know. Uh, that's what he wants. So, it's bizarre, you know. And that, that's quite the... Just the facts, man. Yeah, just the facts. Maybe it's... A, it's a, <clears throat> facts are such a strange things, McCain and people like him, you know. The... the Kind of malleable, beautiful
3: things, you know. It's quite a telling lapsus, McCain talking about sending little weapons in, uh, in Moscow. It reminds me of Saakashvili, oh, yes, ex-leader uh, of uh, Georgia, yeah, who was removed from power in 2013, who was saying that with some help, some w- military oh, help, this week. Ukraine could take, take over, over Russia. Russia
4: invade yeah, and, and
1: take over all Russia and, and people are like that's outrageous he shouldn't be saying this I'm like no get this guy up in front of a camera keep him going yeah. G- give him a job in the State Department I want to hear more
3: You know, it's but just. I think it's quite an objective and true reflection on what is going on in the mind of these individuals that what they want is not a Crimea or a Eastern Ukraine what they want is control okay. but destroy that, Russia
4: well, they want Moscow
2: Tascivelli is is
3: uh, cut from a certain cloth,
2: you know, and you see similar types. He's he's a very <coughs> good example of him, but he's from the same kind of um, ballpark, uh, the same mold as, uh, you know, the Ukrainian leaders, like Yats, Yats and Poroshenko and Turkinos and, and people like that. Uh, they can't really speak uh, publicly about Russia and about what's going on today without coming across like nut bags, you know, because they're so incensed and so rabidly, rabid, full of rabid hatred for Russia, like an irrational, insane hatred for Russia that it comes out in what they say and they're just, you can see it in their face and their expressions and Saskaville, like, yeah. I mean, he, he's up in the UN spitting. I know, he's, talk about spittle fleck rants, like I mean yeah. he just defined the spittle fleck rants, I mean the whole UN was just covered in slabber, you know, because, and he couldn't and it was just, it was all just totally irrational and, and ridiculous nonsense, you know, and, but he gets to stand up there, you know, they the West, the U.S., allows likes pe- like people like that to come up and, and say stuff because while they may appear a bit crazy, they don't have anything to lose from it. He's only destroying his own reputation and uh, isolating himself, really, you know, uh, by going too far and uh, appearing as he really is, which is a nutbag. Uh, but at least he'll get in a few digs there that might sway some people. So it's, you know, the U.S. is on the lose from people like that who they don't have any real interest anything, you know, Know of any strategic investment in those kind of people? They're, they're sidelined anyway. And the same is true for Yats and Poroshenko because the US isn't interested in any of those people in, in their future careers. You know, the, the, their short term, the short term benefits. But the US isn't even interested in Ukraine as a stable country. They're only interested in Ukraine as a way to get at Russia. They don't yeah. care what happens to Ukraine as long as they can. Uh, if, you, if if Ukraine ends up like a third world nation. As long as it's a European aligned Western aligned third world nation, they're happy. They don't care if the whole place goes down the tubes and people are starving in the streets. As long as Russia doesn't get it, they're happy. And as long as it, Russia doesn't even get eastern Ukraine effectively, as long as there's no independence for Eastern Ukraine, they're happy. They can have they're happy to have, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of deaths. It doesn't matter to them, obviously. Because they're like they're they're demanding for they're demanding that um weapons, American high-tech weapons be sent to a bunch of, uh, you know, grunts, uh, military grunts in in Ukraine who will just fire them off on anybody. You know, I mean, mean, the Ukrainian army is a joke, basically, and always has been a joke, you know, it's never, it's not really a professional serious army, but they want to give them, you know, javelin uh, missiles and all sorts of
3: high-tech weapons, and they're just going to kill people with them, you know. And Mm. and it's the statement by uh, Saakashvili all the more ridiculous that in 2008 he was the leader of Georgia who tried to get South Ossetia uh, from Russia and he was backed by the US with mili- US military weapons and uh, he lost. So you should know that uh, having US military uh, is not enough to uh, take down Russia. He didn't even get uh, Ossetia. And right now, Ukraine is backed military by uh, the US, maybe not fully, maybe not totally officially. And uh, it's uh, having defeat after defeat against rebels, which are not a powerful army like the Russian army. Right now, as we are talking, apparently there are 8,000 Ukrainian troops that are surrounded near the village of but civil in Ukraine, so uh, the situation is tensed for the Ukrainian army despite U.S. military support.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's... I mean, that's why the the whole debate right now is whether to actually proper yeah. support, you know, as in I mean, they've, uh, they've sent a certain amount, but they're talking now about the right kinds of weapons, you know, they probably sent them a bunch of um, you know, guns and ammunition, etc., um, but nothing in the sense of that would uh, facilitate a full kind of you know war. Yeah. Besides uh, anti tanks,
0: yeah, tanks,
2: tanks, tanks uh, armored personnel, yeah. sorry, Humbis, all the stuff basically that the US used in Iraq. You know, um, so, but it's crazy because I mean, even have the UK uh, defense minister saying, you know, breaking ranks with the US and saying this is a bad you know, This was simply inflamed the situation. Uh, Merkel has already said that the German defense minister has already said that France has already said that that is it's a bad idea that it was simply you know I mean it's dangerous for Europe it's dangerous for the European Union to uh, for the Ukrainian army to be given a full complement of weapons to wage war on Eastern Ukraine because the Eastern Ukrainians will back down and that kind of thing when it escalates has the potential to ignite other conflicts, uh, well, people who are, in, particularly in Eastern Europe, who are maybe sympathetic with the Eastern Ukrainians and, and who have um, maybe aspirations towards some kind of independence on, their, on themselves, like in uh, Moldova, which is right next door to Ukraine, a um, small little country, but there's a little kind of potentially breakaway section of that called Transnistria, and they're kind of Russian-lined, and the Russians
1: have mentioned them in the past. And they're still officially communist. Right. They yeah. never they're still they never in the nineteen nineties. And they I
2: mean I there's a question over what whether it's just sane heads have prevailed here in in Europe at least and they've seen the clear negative potential results of a major conflict in Ukraine. And it's already major because I'll just throw this in here. The official figures are from the UN anywhere, five thousand people have been killed. But there was a, a report from uh, German intelligence. German intelligence today that said that the, that those figures are completely unrealistic and more likely it's more likely that fifty thousand people have been killed, 50, including between um, combatants, let's call them soldiers, uh, and civilians, and that kind of rings true because um, we know from a long time ago really that uh, many people questioned the official figures on the US casualties and just the, the amount of people coming back to the US after the invasion of Iraq and the 10-year occupation of Iraq uh, coming back to the US at, um, that were injured the number of, of injured veterans and the the kind of awareness and the presence and the problem of um, soldiers coming back, US Marines, etc. coming back from Iraq and the problem that, that was causing within the US in terms of the, the sheer number of them and the post-traumatic stress disorder problem that so many of them were having in terms of the number of them were committing suicide, the number that were uh, committing violent acts against their, their families. families. Put all that together and you get a feeling that it was much, much, much bigger in terms of the uh, the casualties and the, the damage that was done to a large number of people, uh, a large number of soldiers in Iraq. So, I mean, I think the official figure is somewhere in the 5,000 for soldiers killed in Iraq over those 10 years. But again, you could probably multiply that at least by about 10. And the number of uh, injured, you can probably multiply by, uh, by 10 as well.
3: Yeah, authorities, of course, tend to minimize the negative impact of a conflict to gain or preserve public support or what is left of the public support. It's in, the timing is interesting. German intelligence releases this estimate, 50,000 casualties. Mm-hmm. That's a big number. Right when Angela Merkel makes a T-degree turn with yeah. Francois Hollande, and start to suggest a partition of Ukraine, basically, more autonomy for eastern Ukraine, and a kind of a no man's land or um, no uh, army, uh, no weapon uh, area, 50 to 70 kilometers. And, uh, of course, this 50,000 figure totally back up the new policy proposed by Angela Merkel. So many uh, so many people dead is one of the best reasons to stop the escalation escalation of the war. But there are other reasons, uh, as you mentioned, Joe. First, fully supporting uh, Ukraine militarily is crazy because those Ukrainian leaders, Poroshenko and all, are totally nuts. So you don't know what they're going to do with their weapons. B, escalation of conflict in Ukraine, it means you accept the perspective of a war on your territory, on your land, in Europe. And third, if there's a war, there's going to be also an escalation of economic sanctions against Russia. Mm-hmm. And who is the first victim of those sanctions? Russia and European Union. And the U.S. They have the good role in this uh, escalation uh, scenario. They're going to sell their weapons. They're going to create one more client state. They put more pressure on their nemesis, Russia. And they benefit from the weakening of EU and Russia. And the conflict is not on their land. Mm-hmm. And the sanctions, they don't mind. It doesn't affect them. So it's very, uh, it's now ridiculous. we start to see a dividing line between uh, Europe that seems hopefully to realize how harmful and unjustified this conflict is, and on the other side the US that are being already US as usual, you know, and uh, war and hoax and more blood, more conflict, more weapons and uh, but
2: more it's destruction. Hard,
3: it's hard to imagine. Um,
2: that's hard to see our how it's taken so long for European leaders to kind of come around to this uh, realization, you know? I mean, okay, you can allow for maybe the fact that sanctions were started against Russia about seven or eight months ago, um, and then another round of sanctions, and the third round of sanctions And last fall, there was the attack on the ruble, and also last fall, <clears throat> or last fall, the the attack on the oil price, essentially, of Saudi Arabia. Agreed to drop the oil price, as has been revealed recently, uh, officially, to uh, at the at the behest of Washington to try and screw over Russia by reducing Russia's income from oil sales by uh, reducing the price of they would get for a barrel of oil. So and then the ta- attack on the Russian currency. So all of these things have happened just in in the last few months or ended in the last few months. And I think you could say that. The European leaders were, since they were invested in this, have taken part in these actions to one extent or another. They were waiting to see if it would have any effect. They had to give it some time to see if it would bring Russia to its knees, quote unquote. Um, but apparently, that isn't happening. And even Merkel has said that recently that she's even gone. She seems to have understand understood that because today she said or yesterday she said that um, even if the US was to give high tech weapons to the Ukrainian army it would not uh, scare Russia. Russia would even then not back down. It would not convince them in any way that they are going to lose uh, the the battle to whatever extent they're engaged in it in Eastern Ukraine. So, and obviously that, I think that must have been conveyed directly by Putin uh, to Merkel recently because she said that a day after she yeah. had a meeting with him. So he obviously has convinced her in some way or other that listen, it doesn't matter what happens here. We have ways and means to 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 safeguard our interests and continue on the course that we have set for ourselves, which is protecting the people of Eastern Ukraine, protecting our interests, even in the, even in the in the same kind of uh, line as the U.S. And, uh, and NATO has used the right to protect, you know, where they they invaded and bombed uh, Libya. Um, in 2011 on the basis of the right to protect it was all trumped up obviously in lies but they were going in there to protect the people of Libya from evil Gaddafi etc so uh, the Russians are clearly claim, can claim the same thing here uh, as far as eastern, eastern Ukraine is concerned that they have a right to protect people in eastern Ukraine who have a, a good reason to believe that they are threatened by the people who came to power or were put in power in Kiev last year. Yeah. So, I mean, Russia, is as far as international law goes, as far as it's been defined and shaped, because it's changing all the time and it's being made, international law is being made by the actions of, primarily of the West, but other countries as well, but primarily the West, they shape and form international law in a very kind of vague, generalized way by what they do. They they reframed effectively international law when they invaded Iraq without a UN mandate. The UN doesn't matter anymore. International law now says... That you can invade any country in the world, if you think your in your strategic interests, that yeah. mandates yeah. that's international law. That's so what it, it's the law. International law now is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Basically, whatever I want to do for me, that's the law. Well, then that everybody, so there is no law. It's Whatever anybody makes up. So, but the point here is that the U.S. defined that. The U.S. and and, and the U.K. in particular defined that over the past 10 years. So Russia is entirely entitled
3: to uh, uh,
2: do what it's doing in Ukraine, which is protecting the Ukrainian people and protecting Russia's own
3: interests. Yeah, and unlike the U.S. in Libya, Russia doesn't bomb civilians in, in Ukraine. They seem obviously dedicated to defending, protecting the interest and uh, uh, Ukrainian citizens. Another illustration of this double standard, the level of international law or the United Nations, is the what is central to the Charter of uh, the United Nations is the right for self-determination of the people, and that was what claimed in nineteen nineteen Kosovo in order to destroy Yugoslavia. And uh, everybody agreed at the time: okay, self-determination, fine. Kosovo wants to be independent; let's give them independence. And uh, let's bomb uh, Yugoslavia. But now that Crimean people did exactly the same, a referendum, self-determination, went to be autonomous. The US are are reacting just the opposite way to what they did in Kosovo. Yeah.
2: So it's mind-boggling. It's, 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 well, it's hypocrisy and stuff. So, but that's the problem. The problem is that there's no longer any law that dictates what people can and can't do, and people, even if there is, well, but no one's adhering to them anymore. So what? It, in that scenario where no one adheres to the actual laws, what you have is what we're seeing today in the world is that you simply have competing factions shouting, trying to shout each other down or, or engaging in a propaganda war to convince the population of who is right and who gets to do what and, and, and that's what it is. It's a propaganda war and the propaganda war is is effectively the law. Well, whoever wins the propaganda war or can make the, the strongest argument and has the Means to kind of, you know, back it up and do what they want to do. Uh, they're the ones that law is then defined by by that essentially. You know, so it's it's a yeah. shouting match. It's a, it's a it's a you know it's like a cat fight. It's a
1: that's exactly it's a, it's a bar bar brawl basically. You know, it's exactly what George Soros said recently. We have until April, a couple of months, to um, create solidify the appearance of our version of events. Otherwise, Putin's going to win the information war. He's talking in part, partially about the real effects, like the actual uh, military battles taking place on the ground, but mm. it's really only kind of a part a, of a gentle, a mm-hmm. touching point for this much bigger propaganda war. But he, we haven't been able to make Putin bad yeah. and accept it as such.
2: But he's deluded, yeah, because I mean he's on the wrong side. Maybe he doesn't realize it because he thinks he can create his own reality because he's got enough money, he's got enough billions in the bank to try and create a reality. But he doesn't realize that it's not just about financing propaganda and putting um, information out there that argues for your for your case and you know, argues your case. Uh, the people like Soros and, and Washington in the West have an extra problem, which is that they find themselves on the wrong side of the line of truth versus lies. Putin and Russia don't need as much resources as Soros and washington they don't they don't have as much resources as, as they do, but uh they don't need it because they have truth on their side, and that is a big player in terms of convincing people because it's much it's very difficult it's it's still very difficult to convince people of an egregious lie that it's the truth you know all Putin has to say is or Lavrov has to come out and say, well, you know and talk sense and it's very easy to talk to talk sense and put it plainly because that's kind of self-evident, and it appeals to a, a logic in, in ordinary people, you know? Like, well, yeah, I suppose that would make, kind of make sense, yeah? I mean, if like were saying, Pierre, if Kosovo was allowed to be independent, then so should uh, Crimea or Eastern Ukraine. And that's all they have to say. And say to precinct, and say, well, you allowed, you allowed it to happen before, so why can't it happen here? But... Comparatively, the West has to come up with all sorts of convoluted, twisting and manipulative narratives that ultimately don't ring true, ultimately sound like lies and bullshit. So they have to put an awful lot of energy into catapulting their propaganda over and over again to try and convince
3: people that black is white, basically. And there's another factor. There's been such an accumulation of lies over decades, and lies are bigger and bigger There's such an internal inconsistency in the West narrative that right now they have to defend exact opposite. It's uh, what Nils was mentioning about, or you drew about the supporting ISIS. Right now, the position of the U.S. doesn't make sense at all. On one side, they fund ISIS. On the other side, they fight Syria regime, al-Assad, who is fighting ISIS. Mm-hmm. It's uh, what side are they there?
1: Uh, what
3: was the line of thinking? What was that policy? What was the consistency? It doesn't make sense anymore. So, and I think that's why the, the dumping down of the nation is more and more necessary as well. To, uh, well,
2: the dumbing down has been going on for a long time. Yeah. It's now after decades of <clears throat> dumbing down, particularly of in the US, but also in in Europe, depending on on the country. It's. After a long process of doing that, that now they feel they can pass off these egregious bullshit lies yes. to the people and have them accept it because people have been trained and conditioned not to think and think in very simple black and white terms good and bad, you know, us versus them, you know, American versus terrorist type thing. And I mean, there's a video that, uh, like Adam Kokesh, uh, he's a former Marine in Iraq, and he has a history of going around. He's got he's involved in various different groups in the US but he uh, you know kind of freedom and liberty and libertarian and I don't know what he is but basically he makes videos on the web and he made a recent one where he stood outside a movie theatre as people are coming out or having seen um the sniper uh, movie um, American Sniper about this uh Marcus deadly sniper that's been in the news recently and he just engages the people who who came out of it? Out of watching the movie, and conversation, and asked them what they thought, and then questions them and challenges them a little bit on their on their statements, you know. And uh, it's actually painful to watch the people uh, being subjected to just a minimal amount of kind of critical thinking uh, and challenging of their beliefs of what they've just said, you know. So they say, yeah, well, he was a hero because he was protecting Americans. He was protecting the the homeland against evil terrorists. So this guy Adam Kokesh says, okay, but in the movie you saw these people that he was shooting. Uh, One of them was a woman and her child, and uh, so he asked him about that, and he says, so they were on their homeland, right? Iraq was their homeland, and uh, I mean, American the snipers and the American troops were in that country, uh, invading it, and it was the Iraqi's homeland. So these people who were fighting back, as you saw in the movie in Iraq, don't you think they were protecting their homeland? And there's always this kind of like, "Uh, yeah. So, and he said, so you think that the sniper was a hero because he was protecting his homeland against, you know, people uh, who, who wanted to attack his homeland. What well, if American troops were in 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 Iraq and people in Iraq were were fighting against them on their homeland to protect their homeland from Americans, uh, aren't they the heroes then? And people are like, uh, no, 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 yeah, no. What's the right answer? One guy went.
1: Can you repeat the question? And, <laughs> and, and it's like, like that's the first time they've been presented with that conundrum. I mean, but, that's how far yeah. gone they are. But,
2: like, when you're sitting there on your own, if you think about it, well, you just don't think about it at all. Because one moment of thinking about it, to think in any kind of relatively sane, kind of half-intelligent mind would say, yeah, there's kind of a bit of a problem about that narrative, you know, that, well, it's not so black and white, just a little.
1: No, Kokesh okay, had to see it.
2: Yeah, but those people on their own
1: They don't think about it, obviously.
4: No,
2: they just they get a narrative, they get a a simplistic black and white message, and they go with it.
1: And there's never any questioning
2: of it whatsoever.
1: I I think we, the the extent to which they're pounded by it, we have some idea of how bad it is there, but it is worse because we're on the outside. We're able to uh, not be completely hit with it day in day out, and it produces this, this. or situation which is gonna get is gonna get even more apparent. you know it's been an extraordinary week with all these meetings and secret flights off to Kiev and well no secret flights to Moscow by the German and French leaders and then I can just imagine the reaction in Washington, oh my God, quick, get Biden over there for an attaboy. boy. Biden comes to Brussels and he starts making relatively toned down statements than he would have been saying back to a US audience mm. but they still stand out as Stark waving Mad mm.
2: You know how <laughs> in the background at the Mint or at the uh, music when they were all there and Kerry was in, in Munich. I said as Carrie's coming out of the door I saw good old Victoria Newland in the back, you know. Just uh, I think she was saying attaboy a boy. Go get him. You know, and uh, don't know, I just don't like that one. But anyway um, For obvious reasons. But, yeah, the question is, I mean, Sarkozy's come out, former French president, before the current French president, Sarkozy, who was known as President Bling Bling, who liked a holiday in America. They call him um, the American here in France. Right, Sarkozy the American, uh, who liked a holiday in the U.S. and hang out with the Connecticut uh, clique. And go on a yacht and boat rides and stuff, and wear stars and stripes boxer shorts, and eat donuts and drink Coca Cola and McDonald's.
4: Scully.
2: Well, okay, whatever that was. So, um, the he's come out and said basically that well, one of the kind
1: of struggling. I have it here. Yeah. yeah. Um. So he's speaking to his home base. He's now again the leader of the. Right party, mm-hmm. France, UMP, UMP, and he didn't just he didn't just intimate you know maybe the situation with the Russians we should consider a different tack. He said he went totally against the core of the U.S. narrative, which is that Russia is evil because they invaded, and occupied, and stole Crimea. He said Crimea can't be blamed for joining Ukraine. Joining cho- Russia. Oh, for, sorry for joining Russia. They chose to. And he also added, Ukraine is simply not destined to join the EU. Yeah. And we, France, I, Europe, I guess, are part of a common civilization with Russia. The interests of the Americans with the Russians are not the interests of Europe and Russia.
3: And We, we, must, we do
1: not want a revival of a cold war between Europe and
3: Russia. Mm-hmm. And we must find the means to create a peacekeeping force to protect Russian speakers in Ukraine. Like- What's interesting about
2: this is Sarkozy is possibly going to run for president, right? Mm -hmm. In two years' time. Mm -hmm. He is making the statement which is just, you know, there's a gulf between that statement, what he just said, uh, compared to the U.S. angle. The U.S. kind of warmongering, you know, ramp it up, throw, throw fuel on the fire type thing. But in France, Like in the U.S., there is certain groups that support presidential candidates and to some extent without which you would have a hard time being president. So my conclusion based on that is that Sarkozy, thinking of a presidential run, has the support of these groups on this pro-Russian, essentially, or uh, peace Mm -hmm. with Russia stance. So it's it's interesting when you kind of think through that and and think through the complex web of influence and how things work in in governments. Because, you know, let's be honest here, in in most countries in the world, and particularly in the West, um, an administration is in power for for four or five years, sometimes eight in the U.S. level, but, you know, for a short period of time. Uh, But policies stay the same. For decades, you know, general policies stay the same. So, I mean, you don't have to be a genius to assume from that that there is a a power that remains stable behind these comings and goings of presidents and governments. Right? So, uh, and that's the kind of these interest groups and influential groups within countries that that support the candidacy of one person or one party or another, you know. And so it's for me. It's just interesting that that uh, Sarkozy's comments of, uh, that he was felt comfortable to say that that take that stance on Russia, uh, an anti-U.S. essentially stance on Russia. That's that's the way the Americans uh, see it. Uh, with view to his uh, upcoming presidential bid, you know, and it points to me at this point anyway of a of a kind of an isolation of the U.S. A growing isolation yeah. of the U.S. In terms of everything, well, everything east, of the west of the east coast of America, basically, you know what I mean?
4: Yeah. And
2: um, you have America and Canada. Uh, there, there, maybe Mexico. You throw them in, but most of South America, not really very much U.S. aligned. And then the rest of the world, basically, because if you if mm. if if Europe moves away, you've got Europe, Russia, China. Did you hear about the latest? Right. All anti-U.S. and all not no longer U.S. aligned. That's yeah. kind of a scary prospect for.
3: Yeah. Just one point, before you go on, Neil. Uh, it's all the most striking that right now on this critical topic, Ukraine, you have Hollande, the leader of the the left in France, and current president, and Sarkozy, former president and leader of the right, kind of Republican, are both exactly on the same line, make peace with Russia. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, obviously, the real power above puppet presidents in Europe really want peace with Russia. And it makes sense. Well, we, for once, we cannot blame them for that. It's so logical. It's much better for European economy, for European people. Nobody wants. A, I mean, yeah, makes sense.
1: Um, I've been wondering what Israel thinks of all this uh there's the, a the spot going on between the US and Israel. they kind of it's on off. Every time Netanyahu's coming to the US to give a talk, there's always some kind of public spot to some extent as to how much press time Obama or someone else will give to the the, the visiting head of state. Uh it's, it's very contentious <laughs> with these two because in the past, there was the suggestion that when Netanyahu um, oh, Obama wouldn't meet him at the White House, or there wouldn't be an official state dinner, or whatever. But he's Benjamin Netanyahu is due to come and speak and uh, give a speech at the U.S. Congress about Iran mm-hmm. on uh, March third, and apparently the the spat is that he didn't clear this with the White House. That the at the invitation of leading U.S. Republicans or so a different faction, let's say, to the Democrats, and Obama. And this was all done behind Obama's back. (laughs) And uh, there was an Israeli delegation at this Munich security conference that's held every year in Munich. Um, It happened to come in this week just as all these other meetings are going on. And the Israeli delegation was not from the Israeli government, it was from the Israeli opposition. They're having elections in Israel In mid-March. And I was scanning through the Israeli press and uh, somebody there is pissed off that Biden and Kerry made a point of meeting them the opposition. Uh, His name is Herzog. He's actually the son or grandson of the famous Chaim Herzog, who was former president of Israel. So I I, I think there's another, another... Element a big element to here as to you know gauging which way the wind is blowing the, Isra- the, the Israelis and the American they might uh, I mean Israel could easily realign as well.
3: Okay. It's very true. I think in Israel for Israel the days of Netanyahu are counted. Um, that's the first point. What is interesting is the, the analogy between what happened with uh, Netanyahu's visit in, uh, in the U.S. and what happened recently in France, because during this march organized on the 11th of January uh, 2015 after the, the shooting in Charlie Hebdo, Netanyahu has not been invited by François Hollande. So again, Netanyahu somehow managed to access powers that are above presidents, obviously, because he ended up being... Part of the march. Not only that, he was in the first rank, in the middle. He was the the central character, and uh, and also. <laughs> what is it? <interesting, laughs> These uh, impromptu meetings between European leaders and Putin in Moscow uh, already happened at the end of last year. We remember Hollande on his way back from uh, a journey, I don't remember where, stopped in Moscow, it was not planned, met Putin, and after the meeting with Putin, advocated for freezing or even cancelling the economic sanctions against Russia. And then this Charlie Hebdo event happened. Despite this event, Poland is back again, along the same line, advocating for peace with Russia. So.
1: Yeah, well, you you say despite this event, I mean, it's not clear what effect that's is that meant to isolate the US? You know, I mean how, that doesn't really work. but there was an unusual um footnote to that march in Paris. No American presence. So I don't know if, if that's related to it as well. Um the mm-hmm. whole the whole thing is like we were saying it earlier it's it's just, just one thing amazing soap opera and at least, the, it's like you're getting to the end of the movie, and finally the script's starting to yeah. place, uh, the,
3: the tension, all the
1: characters revealed, you know?
3: The tension yep. between the U.S. and uh, Israel are also illustrated by the leaks. There have been several leaks recently concerning some uh, assassination of leaders in the Middle East, and uh, where actually the involvement of secret services, CIA, and al-Mossad are shown. And uh, you can help uh, wondering if this is not illustrations or symptoms of growing uh, tension between u s and israel
2: well you got Biden gave a good indication of the attitude of u, of the u s towards um, european states recently when he said that um <clears throat> when he said that the uh, the express essentially european states expressing their own opinion that diverges from the US opinion was um inappropriate and annoying. That's effectively what he said because I mean that's exactly what he said. He, he said came it. to
1: Brussels and said it.
2: Yeah he said it was inappropriate and he came to them and said, look at what you're saying here which doesn't agree with us, it's inappropriate and annoying. Could you please stop it? You know? I mean if that doesn't give you an indication uh a pretty clear indication of the status or uh, the status of European countries uh which compared to other countries around the world are probably in a more powerful position vis-a-vis the U.S. You can imagine what other smaller countries in have to accept from the U.S. But, you know, there's a little bit of respect you'd think has to be shown to European countries because they're quite powerful. But apparently, uh, as far as the U.S. government is concerned, these are, you know, you just saying stuff that disagrees with me, it's inappropriate. It's not appropriate for you to disagree with America. Do you understand that? And it's frankly, it's annoying to me that you would have your own opinion. I mean, that's what he said, and it's amazing. I mean, people say that America isn't an empire. Of course it's an empire. It's not a traditional empire in the sense of uh, centuries or uh, in terms of historical empires from the past. But it's it's a new type of empire where it's essentially...
1: Well, it has bases
4: everywhere. It has
2: bases everywhere, but it doesn't occupy by force like previous empires may have done. But other empires didn't occupy by force either. They simply kept it... Kept other other countries and peoples in check, you know, when 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 necessary. But um, uh, America has has the world more or less sewn up through its military might and its economic uh, control, essentially, through the petrodollar and things like that, and its control of the IMF and finances effectively. The military bases are kind of a backup, yeah. you know, and you know we're there just to in take back Yeah, but um, I think we have. Uh, We have a caller on the line here. It's Tom from Kentucky. Hi, Tom.
0: Hi. Welcome to the show. Pretty good. Um, You got Sorry, I interrupted you. Uh,
1: No, no, wait.
0: I was just saying that I was uh, wondering if you guys... uh, I, I mean, I just popped in a few seconds ago, and I've been reading what You guys are talking, and I've been listening a little bit to what you guys have been talking about, and I've been reading your description and stuff. I was just wondering what you guys think about, you know, uh, the climate change and what America and if America should be leading, um, should be the leading role into stopping climate change or not, help or help subside it, you know.
1: Joe, were you able to hear any of that? I'm afraid yeah, yeah. it's very choppy on us there, yeah. Tom. Um, Will we ask him to repeat the question. Yeah.
0: Can you guys hear me? Can
1: you, re- can you repeat that, Tom? Um,
0: I was wondering what you guys think uh, about climate change. I was thinking that uh, America. I was wondering if you think America should be like the leading country uh, to help stop climate change.
3: uh
2: if, you know, what you're saying is should uh well, should we you you want us to talk about climate ch- uh climate change
0: yeah should america be like a leader in helping stop climate change or oh should, should america earn- be the leader
2: in trying to stop climate change well the thing is america can't do anything about climate change because climate change is a natural Phenomenon. It's it's part of a natural cycle. Um, it may have some indirect relationship with uh, things going on on the planet, but this planet changes. Now the climate on this planet changes and has changed repeatedly in the past, over and over again. Uh, you know, largely, you know, um, largely detached, let's say, from. Anything that human beings are are doing directly, I'm talking here about CO2 in the atmosphere, and you know the idea of human human created uh, global warming, etc. That's not really a consideration because if you look at the historical record. Uh, CO2 in the atmosphere has been as high or higher than it is today uh, on on several occasions when there was no industrial output, and there have been ice ages and you know change, dramatic changes in the climate. Uh, in the in the distant past and in the not too distant past as well. Again, pre prior to the Industrial Revolution. So this, I mean, anybody who looks at it just objectively, without any bias, comes to the conclusion that these kind of things happen over and over again. You know, the, periodically the climate goes into a kind of a chaotic spiral or a chaotic chaotic cycle where it basically shifts. You know, and I mean, some people say that that. Uh, one of the things that it shifts into, in the northern hemisphere anyway, is into a kind of a, a new ice age or a mini ice age where, the, where you know, you have a, a spreading uh, uh, of the ice sheets south uh, and in other parts of the world. then as part of that process, you get, um, you know, a lot of other kind of weird climate and weird climate phenomenon, weird, weird weather phenomenon going on. So, I mean... Yeah, the, go-
1: <laughs> the answer the answer is no.
4: The answer
2: is no because it can't <laughs> sure because it has nothing to do with it. You know, um, the U.S. government cannot do anything. No government in the world can do anything to stop what's happening with the climate today because it happens naturally. It's part of the, the plan. The planet has a will of its own, essentially, and, it, and we are not so important or not so special where we can, uh, where we are either responsible for anything that's happening vis-a-vis climate or that we can do anything about it. I mean, that's just
3: delusions of grandeur, if you ask me. Maybe to give you some figures so we can see how man-made activity is irrelevant in the grand scheme of climate change. Man-made CO2 is 3% of total CO2 in the atmosphere, so 97% is natural, volcanoes, ocean release, etc., etc. 3% of CO2 is man-made. But CO2, all the CO2, natural and man-made, is only 5% of greenhouse gases. The major contributor being not CO2 at all, 5 percent but steam, water vapor. So man-made global warming is not true. It is a myth. And uh, therefore, we can answer your question, uh U.S. doesn't have to lead the fight against uh global warming or climate change, because uh, it has nothing to do with uh, political affairs. It's not changeable. Uh,
0: I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. You were kind of choppy there.
2: Okay. Well, basically no is the answer, because you can't do anything about it. It's a natural function okay. of uh, the, the planet and the way the planet operates. And, you know, I mean, we can get into an indirect correlation between uh, human activity on the planet and climate, but it's not direct. It's not CO two led It's it's something else. But the man, uh, that's a bit too complicated for for right now.
0: Okay. I also have one more question, and then I'll uh, then you guys can let me go.
2: Um,
0: okay. There's okay. this really there's this really controversial game, video game out there, and the only reason why I'm asking, saying this is because. You know, I'm playing. I'm playing one. I'm kind of playing one and listening at the same time. I just um, I like to multitask. Uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, there's this really crazy game out there that you know is really hot on the market. And I was wondering what your opinion of it was. If you've if you ever heard of it, uh, do you guys? Do any of you know what the uh, the the game is called? Or I mean, if you've heard of it or not.
2: Are you going to tell us the name?
0: Oh, oh! I was just wondering if you guys knew. Did you did you know about this or anything?
2: Did we hear about a controversial video game?
0: Yeah, 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 no. yeah. Like, oh, okay. Well, it's this is a really crazy game, and you should look it up. It's it's very controversial. Uh, a lot of the the Islam world is very offended by it. It's uh, you know, that's one of the reasons like Charlie Hebdo was attacked because they glorified this video game and it has a ton of violence and it's just i i don't I don't know it seems it seems kind of silly to get angry over it, but it's uh this game is called Battle toads and it's it's just awful it's a very terrible video game and includes rape and violence and just it condones it all it's awful i don't know I don't know why it's on the market, but all the kids are loving it, man, they're all going down. you get to kill Jesus Christ in that game. it's crazy that you know this game yep. would come out and I'm sorry that I'm sorry if I'm ranting, but you know, fucking
2: battle toads. I mean, Where battle toads kill Jesus? Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a good description of uh, the state of our society right now. And uh, Tom, I would recommend you stop playing video games if you play them, and you should tell all your friends to stop playing those kind of video games as well because they just kind of fry your brain and they turn you into a zombie, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm allowed to, to be a fag if I want to. I'm allowed to be a fag if I want to. I'm allowed to play video games. All
1: right, it's not, you, can it's play, my right. you can play. You can play games what you want.
2: In fact, you should go and play one right now. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> so anyway, that was Tom, and he had a lot of interesting things to say. Obviously, uh, Battletoads and killing Jesus. Yep, that's what people should be doing.
1: <sighs> Boy, doing. that escalated quickly. That's I mean, it. That, that really quickly.
2: got out of hand fast. Yeah, it's got a bit on hand. I'm glad we have a <laughs> bye-bye <laughs> button there, because uh, why Why is someone like that listening to this show? I have no idea. Uh, he he's just, he's between games. Keywords. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to come up out of, uh, Yeah, I'll play video games if I like, and you won't stop me. Well, cool, yeah, go kill Jesus, you know. He never really existed anyway, so.
1: Um, <clears throat> like all the other myths, but- america's battling you're all they are battling demons of their own creation it's we really sh- sad
2: we should have recorded that and we could have sold that to one of the big video game makers as a for for a marketing campaign you know just have that audio of him talking about uh, what he was talking about there you know um that would really I think be a good idea mm. the,
3: the funny thing is that but well, i don't know the game he was talking about Is very awkward to call and say battle mode mm-hmm. battle mode yeah. todd todd like uh, the frog yes okay Never heard about it, but this caller, Tom was really shocked by the fact that in the game you killed Jesus Christ. All right. But then you look at most of the other games called One-Person Shooter. First-Person Shooter. First-Person Shooter. The scenario is quite similar. You have all those weapons and you keep killing uh, Muslims and civilians or whatever, and uh, it's okay. But if you you kill Jesus Christ, that's really bad.
2: Yeah. Well, he's obviously, he uh, might be a bit fundy, he may be a fundy Christian who's into video games and, and climate change, which is an interesting mix, but there's probably...
1: I, I couldn't even tell if he was arguing for video games or against... Until. Well, when I said people
2: shouldn't play video games and he shouldn't play yeah. video games, he took exception to that, and he plays yeah. video games to really be damn well it likes. <laughs> you know? it was, it was and he, I mean, he may draw the line of killing Jesus in a video game, but everybody else is fair game, you know? <laughs> Because it's just not right to kill Jesus in video games. You know, everybody knows that. I mean, that should be really. It should be like the 11th commandment: "Thou shalt not kill me in a video game."
1: Thou shalt not kill the Lord your God in a video game. Um, I, I have a question for you, Joe. We, you glossed over something. Um, that it was some, there was some kind of official acknowledgement that, on behalf of a U.S. official, they got Saudi Arabia to rig. The oil price, and that this was done with a view to hurting Russia. Yeah. Well, what was the kind of disclosure or acknowledgement that you. Because I have something I think might have been it, but, yeah. unless, what but we go? I'm thinking of what Biden said when he came to Brussels this week. What? Yes. Yeah. Well, besides saying y'all are really annoying when you go against the party line vis a vis Russia, um, he, he made the point of. Saying that these critics, critics of the policy of sanctions against Moscow, <clears throat> should be aware. Remember, people, you also benefited from the current low price of oil. Yeah. Look what we've done for you. That's the message mm. I'm getting. Look, we did this for you. We? What? What are you complaining about?
3: Yeah. Is that what you?
2: No, there was a, else. There was a story in the. In the uh,
3: there's been a meeting. Several meetings between Saudi Arabia and Russia. During one of these meetings, allegedly, the Saudi officials proposed Putin to, inc- to reduce the supply, because allegedly the low oil price is due to increased supply by Saudi Arabia, one of the biggest producers, and the second one after Russia, to reduce the supply to increase the oil price, if Russia committed to stop supporting Bashar al-Assad regime.
1: That was, that was back in 2013. No, no, that's now. 2015. No, but
3: the, the, the reason... But, uh, the, so, by saying the analogy, and they said it was a it, correct, politically correct stance, because the uh, Saudi officials say, well, if to bring back peace in Syria, we have to reduce our, our supply, we'll do so. We just want peace. But uh, there's a major twist in there, because what they want is not a twist, is a regime change that has been expected but by that- the U.S., Okay, oh,
2: okay but sure. the, the Saudis haven't said that officially, and it's not part of an official narrative from Saudi Arabia. But, I mean, what Neil was asking me, what, what, what he was referring to, was uh, a New York Times article from just uh, a few days ago. Uh, the title of it was, uh, Saudi oil is seen as lever to pry Russian support from Syria's Assad. And it was basically, uh, you know, in, 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 the, in the Washington Times, by two reporters who basically said that... Um, who made the claim that Saudi Arabia has been trying to pressure Putin to abandon his support for Assad uh, by using Saudi dominance of the global oil markets at a time when the Russian government was feeling the effects of the of the plummeting oil prices? Basically, you know that the promise these two guys claim that Saudi Arabia and Russia had numerous discussions over the past several months uh, that didn't produce any breakthrough, but that all of it, what was going on was. <coughs> um, was them saying, first of all, saying we can manipulate the price of oil mm. again, not in your favor. And then, since it's been uh, since the oil price tanked last year, um, they've been having more meetings saying we can raise it up again. If
1: you, uh, this is what these people are yeah. this is assuming. What, this is true. Who, who are these demons that? Can mess up the whole planet. These these, these to two guys are such an insignificant well, thing. These two guys were quoting,
2: and I mean, they don't give any sources, but they were quoting uh, Saudi officials saying that they have, that they Saudi had told the U.S. that they think they have leverage over Putin because of their ability to reduce the supply of oil and increase prices.
3: Yeah. Uh, so Lavrov made a statement that is quoted in his New York Times uh, um, article saying, we see eye-to-eye with our Saudi colleagues in that we believe the oil market should be based on the balance of supply and demand, Mr. Lavrov said, and he added, and that it should be free of any attempt to influence it for political or geopolitical purposes. So, this is not a direct acknowledgement of this alleged uh, proposal coming from uh, Saudi officials, maybe between the lines, yeah, but this what but, but the reason I was saying it and the reason Neil was asking me
2: was because there was a report, this report in New York Times that gave official credence to this idea that the Saudis have been. Uh, I mean, it's been talked about for for quite a, since it happened. It's, it's and they last October. missed it. a
1: conspiracy theory, exactly.
2: But conspiracy theory now is on the pages of the New York Times by two you know well-known right. uh, journalists saying that and that they're quoting Saudi diplomats. Yeah. and um. Political officials in the U.S. who speak on condition of an o- on an anonymity. Um, right. That basically... You know, and the official line is if we can, like Pierre was saying, if we can bring peace in Syria, this is what a Saudi official said, if we can bring peace in Syria, I don't see... Or sorry, this is what an American official said. He said, if, we can, if oil can serve to bring peace in Syria, I don't see how Saudi Arabia would back away from trying to reach a deal. Of course, peace in Syria isn't what's really going to happen. I mean... Peace. Uh, the, the war, the the conflict in Syria, is a result of Saudi Arabia uh, inciting it and fueling it. And now they're saying we can bring peace, but we want and Russia to stop preventing us from achieving what we set out to achieve by igniting the conflict and killing two
3: hundred thousand people, which will get rid of Assad. It's murky. Uh, well, th- th- this statement is attributed to a Saudi diplomat. And then the next sentence in this article is, an array of diplomatic intelligence and political officials from the United States and the Middle East spoke on the condition of anonymity
0: to adhere to
3: protocols of diplomacy. So it's a, it's a lot of uh, yeah. speculations. Yeah, that's what I you said. said. But
2: the, in terms of giving official <coughs> credence or believability this, this idea, <coughs> it's a fact that it appeared in the New York Times. Okay. Um, which, when that happens, you know that it's... Yeah, that conspiracy theory has been proven to be a conspiracy well, fact, basically.
1: Saudi Arabia, assuming this kind of... Let's assume this strategy for a second. Saudi Arabia this week um, made a record slashing its prices, biggest in, like, 14 years uh, in, this, in its sales to Asia, primarily to China. I mean, they're trying to really go... They're trying to flood... But the market is signaling the opposite. It produced the opposite result, assuming they intended for prices to drop further. Yeah. because then oil soared twenty percent mm-hmm. as a result of that.
3: Yeah, from forty to uh, yeah, from for almost forty minimum almost to, uh, to almost, almost 60, sixty now, which is almost fifty percent increase. And and uh, that's why all this uh, controversial article is uh, almost is a moot point, in the sense that the official narrative that it's supply and demand that is driving oil price and uh, and any market price, actually. And uh, so, it's convenient to say Saudi Arabia being uh, the second producer in the world by pumping and selling a maximum of oil is uh, dropping the price of oil. But when you look at figures, when you see total uh, global oil production in the world and uh, oil consumption, supply and demand, you see that there's not a growing gap between supply and demand, so the real reason from what I understand for this drop in oil price and even for the high prices we saw before hundred dollar plus a barrel are only due to market are mostly due to market manipulation and market speculations mm. because the future contract and the derivative related to oil are maybe are more than ninety percent. Of the oil market, most of the oil trade is virtual oil, the same for, yeah. as as for gold. Well, so,
2: even even
3: uh, even, at Saudi the, Arabia.
2: even at the practical level, <clears throat> the idea that I mean insiders and in, who are dealing in oil in the oil portions etc. in the world. They all know more or less what's going on. They know this information that the New York Times has just deemed uh, worthy of of revealing. And they knew last year when when Saudi Arabia. Uh, Um, increased its supply of oil and and causing the price to drop uh, they knew that that was artificial I mean if you have a country who can just I mean it's happened before you know so they know that this happened so if you have a country that can just turn off or turn on uh, the the, the tap you know I mean it shouldn't really affect in a dramatic way the price of oil you know what I mean because uh, it's because being done for a political to achieve a political goal, which is to attack Russia, you know. So, I mean, all of these people in, in the market and in, in, in the oil bourses and um, the, in, in the stock exchanges buying and selling—they're—they're um, they're complicit in it, you know. So it's—it's it's false essentially. It's a false draw. Uh, it's like because when it happened, they were saying that's just natural and you know it's scarcity. The authorities tried to say, well, I mean, on the one hand, they said they deliberately. Uh, in, increase the flow well, the second, on, on the other hand they said it was well it's just it's natural market fluctuations no it's not they're doing it deliberately you know so I mean nobody believes that yeah. there's any scarcity uh, conversely that there's if they were to shut it off that there's a scarcity we know you're just stopping it yeah. stopping the flow We, you know what I mean it should be based on any change in the price of oil it should be based on a real either uh, abundance of oil or a real uh, lack of oil that would be realistic, but everything else is just complete manipulation and so it's totally
0: taxation it's, you're right again Batman and
3: The problem on those community markets is that it uh, it is not anymore physical markets, physical community markets and uh so at the time in nineteen seventy four when the OPEC countries, the major oil exporters agreed to reduce drastically supply, it had an impact. Based on uh, supply demand uh, rules that led to a major increase in oil price. And that was fair and square so supply and demand, less supply, higher price. Makes sense. Today, physical market and uh, official quotes, oil price are totally decorrelated. Yeah. Has, so, whatever Saudi Arabia makes, and uh, that's what we, we talked about previously uh, concerning gold. Right now, you have in lot lot a lot of demand for physical gold that far exceeds the supply in the, the world production mm-hmm. and you don't see uh yeah, going uh, yeah. through the roof which it should, should be, be. after about uh, some sometimes, sometimes growing up for years the trends between physical market and the uh, virtual markets are more and more diverging you can have a break Mm. you can have a decoration, or you can have two markets Mm. or you can have a black market uh, for physical commodity that with prices much higher much lower than official prices Mm. but uh, we didn't reach this point for oil at all yeah
1: the the russian stock market um, apparently hit a, a three and a half year high this week i mean that's in spite of what happened last year they're at least on paper in terms of their what the market says in other words all, all those derivatives put together the number is at least in theory higher than what it was before they started attacking Russia economically
3: true but also those uh, positive figures concerning the Russian stock market happen while the Brent was soaring up and uh, one way of analyzing it is to say that Russia is highly dependent on oil price because it exports a lot of oil, and therefore its oil economy reflects oil price. When oil price goes up, Russian economy goes up. But there's a kind of flow in this reasoning because when you look at figures, oil business in Russia is only 11% of their GDP. Sure, I mean 90% of Russian activity, is not oil related.
2: And they're also using most of the oil that they produce. You know that's that's why Saudi Arabia has a controlling stake in it because Saudi Arabia is so small it produces so much oh. it exports it and that's why it controls the market i mean the u s um produces is i think up there in oil oil producers maybe number one that fluctuates back and forth between russia and the u s is the first uh, the biggest oil producers but both uh, the u s uses all of the oil that it produces and needs and more. 8 million barrels a day more.
0: Yeah.
4: You
2: know, so uh, it's the countries like Saudi Arabia that have a massive surplus that get to dictate what's you know, the prices of, of it being sold because they're the ones who are shipping it out, yeah. m- most of it out, out to the world, you know. But just on the... I, I meant to say, I was starting to say something earlier on about this turnaround where this flurry of diplomatic BS activity uh, over Ukraine with Merkel on the land, etc., going to Germany and going to Russia and planning more talks next week, etc. <clears throat> I was wondering what has motivated that. Do you know what I mean? We don't want to get into it because we're not into conspiracy theories, right? We're straight up. Just the facts, man. Just the facts, man. So um, it would be nice to think that they had all suddenly realized that it was a really bad idea. With this spectre of the US, you know, dropping uh cargo plane full cargo planes full of weapons, uh, to Kiev and having them go crazy in eastern Ukraine and really ignite a war that the European uh, leaders have said, Okay, this is a bad idea and we this is the line that we're drawing. We can't we're gonna break ranks with the US over this. We we're gonna disagree, even if it annoys Joe Biden. And it's inappropriate to him. <clears throat> but um I wonder if uh something else hasn't been said, you know, by Putin. I mean obviously Putin has said a lot in terms of what Merkel said, you know, that it's not gonna phase us. You can give all the weapons you want to Kiev but I'm not
1: gonna I'm not gonna back down. He might have said we're going to take care of the problem in Ukraine ourselves, you've left it with no choice. Exactly, yeah, that, that we are willing, was basically through
2: the steering wheel uh, out the window type thing in the game of chicken, he said, you know, listen, I may not have made it uh, clear in the past, but, you know, we're willing to do whatever is necessary. We're not going to back down. And uh, and, and the other aspect is that it comes at a time when it has become clear that sanctions, attacking a ruble, dropping oil price is not really having the desired effect on Russia, forcing it to, to back down and it's willing to continue Um, But I I was just thinking that, you know, if Russia was kind of like the U.S., if it followed a a U.S. foreign policy, the foreign policy that the U.S. has followed or has pursued over the past, you know, 100 years almost, Russia has a lot of scope there to create a lot of problems for Europe, for the EU. You know, I mean, uh, Belarus. Is, okay, Belarus is is aligned with Russia, uh, but Belarus is right on Poland's border. You know, um, I mentioned before Moldova, which is quite is, is on Ukraine's border and, and very close to Russia. And then you have Romania and you know Slovenia and you know uh, European EU countries, right? And if the US, if Russia was to follow the policy of destabilization that the US uh, pers- has pursued. Forever, basically, I mean, it was very easy for them to cause serious problems in in those countries by way of deception, essentially, you know, uh, because that's the way the U.S. kind of destabilizes. They infiltrate other countries and foment chaos and, and even conflict, and uh, you know, planting bombs and blaming different people, you know, just stirring things up and giving problems to uh, to those countries, you know, creating problems for the government and and kind of essentially a campaign of terror. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think they'd need to, but go on. But they could. What I'm saying is yeah. they could do that. You know, I mean, we're kind of assuming that, uh, hoping that, you know, Russia is different in that sense and from a moral or a principle stance it would not do that because it does not want, it doesn't have the same designs that the U.S. has mm-hmm. on the world and has had on the world. It, it simply wants to live fairly and equitably with, uh, uh, you know, the... the it, the nations uh, around the world, essentially. Um, but I wonder if uh, if, there, if there wasn't some threat implied or otherwise, you know, uh, no. sent to or, or that they were made to understand that, you know, don't push me, Russia, the Russian bear basically saying, don't push me too far. The of the bear. or The of Don't um, put me in a position where I have no other option because I do have options and that's it. Or don't force me to actually do the things that you've been accusing me of doing? Because that's my last option is to actually do And at that point, I have, not, I have nothing to lose because you have, you've accused me repeatedly over the past year of wanting to uh, militarily or by force take back as much of the Soviet empire as possible. And that is obviously within my scope to do if I'm willing to pay the potential or take the risk and, and, and pay the price. Uh, but, you know, in that situation, who, who, who wins? You know, I mean, there's no clear... Uh, there's no obvious... Uh, yeah. but, 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 but You
1: lose, and the only way you can stop me is if America comes over here and physically right, does Right,
2: exactly. It. I mean, this can go really, really bad. And if you want to push me far enough and create that nightmare scenario that you're accusing me of wanting to achieve, well, then go ahead, you know, because that's my final
3: come. Uh, yes, yeah. But the funny thing is that you were mentioning state terrorism in the beginning of uh, your intervention, and uh, actually I was wondering if... Washington seeing the EU clearly going away from the American uh, political line, we'll have to resort to some kind of uh, operation to force Europe into the anti-Russian line. You know, a kind of MH17 or this kind of uh, terrorist event where all the population is so shocked and that. Uh, uh,
1: well, that's maybe... this is where rubber hits the road. That may be what ISIS is for. This week, six Bosnians were rounded up and arrested uh, for being allegedly members of ISIS, threatening to launch terror attacks in
3: EU countries. Uh, but do you... Because right now, the the narrative is uh, is about those uh, jihadists, mm-hmm. Muslim population, jihadists coming back to Europe and uh, mm-hmm. bombing their own country. But won't they need something that is more specifically targeted politically? At Russia to demonize Russia and to justify uh, a military intervention in, in Ukraine, MS 17 like some kind of even like that, to, uh, to uh, so the population is prime and ripe to oh. support a military intervention in, in Ukraine because uh, Washington is getting really uh, isolated. Yeah, but yeah. They can't politically, they can't
2: uh, realistically engage in, in, a, in a military intervention in, in Ukraine or in because that would. I mean, that would involve Russia. I mean, they'd be pushing it to the point of war with Russia. I don't think any of them are willing to go there. The US might be, but the EU is not. And the US can't do that on its own. I think Mm -hmm. it needs EU support for that. And primarily French and German support because other smaller EU states are subservient to France and Germany, particularly from an economic point of view. I mean, they follow the the, the dictates of of the central EU, Brussels, you know,
1: Germany, France. Um, oh, well, they're starting to rebel in a big way, mm-hmm. and that's probably playing straight into this crisis as well.
2: Who, they, Greece,
1: Greece? Well, but that. Yeah, but I mean, the ones that would be... The breaking know, news.
2: mongers you know?
1: Yeah. It, it's the, isn't, isn't there the, some uh, breaking news on Greece? They've said some um, yeah. of yours.
2: Yeah, they basically said they're not going to ask for an extension of the no. uh, IMF. Uh,
1: they're going to start basically Low. issuing their own money again. Yeah, they're kind of going loan that it hasn't worked, and
2: it, it's obviously not going to work. And they're not gonna, they're not gonna continue with this kind of austerity. You know, yeah. here's lots of money, but you know, eviscerate your social security I, system. They're going to effectively go through. And I think and, this is the realm of leverage Russia has. Well, that's that's the other aspect. There's very there's lots of different kind of. Uh, influence is being exerted here or you know pressure being exerted we just mentioned a few of them and that's another one greece has is making noises that it's not playing the game anymore and russia is courting greece you know i said we're we're ready to offer any loans that you need on favorable terms you know we'll help you economically whatever uh the, the uh, greek government has said well we're looking to our eu partners which is a kind of a, a smart thing to do, you know, in that situation, because everybody knows that Russia has made this offer, and the Greeks are saying no, but we'll we'll work with the EU on this basis or on these terms, you know, and everybody knows there's a backup option for us with Russia, and Merkel and co are like, oh my god, you know, um, and the other aspect is the, the the south stream, the new south stream pipeline. And this shows some kind of uh forward oh, think what well, foresight on the part of the Russians in terms of um they did this a few months ago where they ditched the the Bulgaria route because Bulgaria was capitulating to EU pressure to sanction Russia and you know, drop the South Stream pipeline through uh Bulgaria. <clears throat> and so the Russians went, Okay, fine, we'll put it through Turkey next door then and um then through Greece, because Turkey has a land border with Greece. And there may, it seems that there may have been possible, there may have been some foresight to where the just recent Greek elections were going to go several months ago uh, in the Kremlin. Um, so, you know, and you have basically Turkey. The Kremlin who,
1: has been funding opposition parties right. deep in Western Europe. So Right, and Tur- Turkey is like, uh, you know, making not very nice
2: noises about the EU and saying, you know, basically you're you're a white man's club and you... You know, you think of Muslims as second-class citizens, and if you don't give us EU membership right now, uh, screw you, basically. And Russia is now putting this pipeline through Turkey, which provides gas to Western Europe. And now Greece is kind of is, is departing the scene, departing, looking east rather than west. And uh, so you'd have Turkey, which would be fundamentally aligned with Russia, at least from a from a gas perspective, and also Greece, because the pipeline would be going to Greece. So you'd have Russia, yeah. Russian gas and the South Stream coming through Turkey and Greece, two countries that are looking towards Russia more than towards the EU. And they get to dictate all the terms and prices and everything yeah. on vital gas from Russia. I mean, the EU has played this really, really badly. Like, I mean, it's been so feckless and ridiculous and yeah. such a lack of fo- the foresight that the Russians have shown, which is one of the aspects of, of psychopathy, right, of polarization where uh, essentially psychopaths who, who you know, our reality creators can change everything to the way they want it at any moment and forget about the future. Don't look down the line. Don't perceive the results of their actions because they say they're inconsequential. Because we can change anything whenever we want. If we make a mistake, we'll just lie and change things and it'll be all good. But it doesn't apparently work out that way.
3: It's, it's not over. Uh, and I think I can explain the position of Holland and Merkel concerning the Ukrainian case. It's difficult. To fight a war, a political war, it's even more difficult to maintain the fight on two fronts, the Greek front and the Ukrainian front, plus the uh, the possible contagion. Europe shot itself in the foot concerning the Greek case. While it bailed out banks for 800 billion euros, it didn't want to renegotiate Greek debt that amounts to 240 billion euros, which is nothing compared to this bailout. While the ECB in uh, Mario Draghi in January released the news concerning the European quantitative easing, one performed trillion. A few days later, he stated that European Central Bank will not accept Greek bonds as collateral for loans to Greek banks, i.e., but that's all jargon, that's all BS to uh, to muddy the waters, it means. What does it basically mean? Hmm? What does that mean? That means we won't lend money to Greece, but at the same time, the Troika, the IMF, ECB funding plan is still valid. And Europe was pushing, or European authority were pushing, for Greece to keep on using what they are applying, what they call the bailout, which is a very hypocritical word. Bailout suggests financial help. It's not financial help. It is the destruction of the country in exchange of this bait, just enough money to survive, but in exchange, you privatize your port, your museum, your
1: everything. You get
3: your country I was reading
1: something from a few years ago. The terms of the bailout, in quotes, it's phenomenal. It's not just, you know, we have some idea of of how the shock doctrine works, as described by Neil McLean, where everything is privatized beyond just sell us all of your public uh, services. Privatize everything, and therefore, you know, try and make it make money to pay back the debt you owe us. The, the islands of Greece, the public lands of Greece, mm-hmm. I mean, every rock, the air Greeks breathe. The, 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 terms the worth... were not. The terms were like everything, were like mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. and some, and they signed to it. They signed the dollar line. I mean, this is just insane.
3: And even people, when you think about it, is deregulation of uh, social uh, advantages. No more minimal wage uh enslaving the old population. Yeah. And that, Spiras and uh, its government refused it. They refused it. They didn't refuse the money. They refused the, the terms, the conditions that came with this uh, unacceptable uh, troika deal. Alexis and, and at the same time, the ECB was refusing to l- lend money to Greece. What, uh, Alexis Tsipras made a very sensible proposition. Okay, let's correlate the rate of uh, refund, loan repayment, to the GDP growth of, of Greece. Because the objective is for Greece economy to flourish again, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody would agree with that. But the position of the ECB was on that. It was, okay, no, no, let the country be looted, pay back. And while the ECB was doing that, Moody's, one of those uh, uh, quote agencies? Rating agency. Rating agency. New York. Yeah. Moody was downgrading again the debt of Greece to junk, uh, letting uh, interest rate soar to five four percent making Greece technically unable to borrow money on the market international markets. So they were stuck. Yeah. And now the last card they can play, but it can be, it's an ace, it can be a, a major card, is Russian help. But the If it's Russian, it will lead to the same. It's a Euro-exit. And Euro-exit, not only is Greece leaving Europe, but it might give ideas to other countries. Some countries are very close, situation, like uh, Spain with Podemos, but even France with Marine Le Pen, which is what they call uh, euphemistically a eurosceptic, or maybe Ireland, uh, Italy, many countries. Have a growing political body and a population thinking about uh, that Europe is not. It's great. It's disgraceful, actually, it's for the country.
1: It's disgraceful. Goldman Sachs got Greece into this mess, and the head of the European Central Bank, Mario Draghi, is an ex-Goldman Sachs executive. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. like Revolve they the think door. they have it all stitched up. Because actually, you know, you were mentioning trillions here. And once you get into trillions, people's eyes tend to glaze over because they've no conception of what that means. Well, anyway, someone did a, a study to try and gauge a kind of a global figure for total world debt. The, the global debt level is higher than
3: all the total GDP. Uh, again, yeah, it's, yeah, more it's, than it's higher. It's 200, 200,
1: 200 trillion, which means we all owe someone
2: more no. than can possibly produce. No, well, we all owe it to ourselves. It's ridiculous. No concept of debt at that level is ridiculous because uh, it's all the countries of the world owe uh, seventy-five, eighty, whatever, ninety trillion. It is to themselves. Two hundred trillion. No, it's not that much. Yeah, two hundred. The world debt. World
4: world
1: well, there's government
2: debt. debt and personal debt as well. There's there's yeah. different private, uh, and pri- private and public yeah. debt. Yeah. I think I think uh, public debt is maybe a bit less, but it's. I think recently public debt exceeded <coughs> exceeded the GDP of of countries, but yeah. uh, someone was saying that. I mean, and it kind of makes sense because I mean, the question is always asked, who do you owe this to? And it's, what it comes back to is it's all oh, to ourselves. <clears throat> you know, but countries, you know, uh, the, the whole concept of debt doesn't, what people understand debt to be uh, in normal terms, like if I, you know, get money from someone, I owe them that. That's not really what that actually means when they talk about it in these terms, in these kind of global and governmental governmental terms, it doesn't make any sense, really. It's not really an actual physical debt, except it's, it, it's controlled and uh, lorded over by these international banking kind of uh, institutions like the IMF and the World Bank, and et cetera. And yeah. it's just a means to control countries,
1: yeah. you know? It's a function of central banking. Central banking yeah. sounds plain, It almost sounds like, just a kind of a natural function of how the economies work. It's not it's central banking, it's the privatization mm-hmm. of capital,
4: mm-hmm. and
1: then the loaning at interest, which is mm-hmm. what we called usury, mm-hmm. and it's become so normal that, it, well, this is the way it always was, but
4: mm-hmm.
1: there is another obvious option staring any people square in the face, which is that the government issues its own debt and therefore there is no, no one to pay it. no one to pay it back you. you loan Both it itself, interest yeah. free for
3: centuries
1: staring us in the face you know? for
3: centuries most nations issue their own currency that were usually uh, backed by silver and gold without interest
1: and they weren't always backed by silver and gold they still succeeded
3: yeah this is one of the gold the books
1: really need to get their head and, uh, in
3: they don't it's not necessary no no and uh has worked the welfare centuries this this way. So this uh, privatization of uh, capital, and it's not only privatization, it's uh, the end result is uh, enslavement of nation and people to uh, the ones who create money and lend it. Create funny money
2: and lend Uh, fiat. Fiat money. But the whole Greek thing is interesting because it made me think of Plato, you know, and uh, And his republic? No. His His uh, One of his later dialogues, you know, uh, called Critias, where he talks about... um, Where he has this dialogue uh, with these personages about um, Atlantis, 9,000 years prior to... Yeah. Prior to his era, talking about Atlantis and that... um, Atlantis was this wonderful civilization, etc. It was outside of the Pillars of Hercules, which some people think is the Straits of Gibraltar, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was basically where America is today, and that was Atlantis. But it was an empire like America is today. And that uh, eventually a war was fought. uh, And it was the Greeks who, uh, you know, decisively or eventually defeated Atlantis and prevented them from enslaving all the peoples of the Mediterranean. Uh, and I just thought it was an interesting uh, possible replay, Re-
1: uh, replay
2: or, uh, of a dynamic, let's say, but it would be quite closely, quite close uh, replay if if Greece was to actually be, not that Greece would, you know, going to come out and say the word or anything, but that it would be the yeah. the, the domino that begins, that causes some
1: kind of a well, collapse, collapse here. On, on an earlier show, I said... Um, I'm not sure to what extent this angle of the new Russian pipeline going to the Greek-Turkish border would would work as a kind of a, uh, a new kind of anchor of, of of the power, division of power in Europe because of the natural enmity between Greeks and Turkey. Mm-hmm. But as one of our Greek thought editors pointed out, there was graffiti springing up all over Turkey basically like you go Alexei plus, you know, we love you. Yeah. Awesome. Go for it, you know. We, yeah. Totally. Come, 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 come and save us next. from, from yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so people people out there recognize, yeah, good eye for what's going on. That's good.
2: Yep. Well, it's all to be seen, uh, it's gonna be pretty interesting over the next few a few months, um what actually happens? It seems that we've reached a kind of a nexus point here where uh, Things have got a bit uh, hysterical, a bit, yeah, a bit dangerous. It's accelerating, huh? yeah, and um, you know who knows the economy is still there to the phony economy is still there to to be to collapse, it's you know. Dangling, and, um, and of course that would pro- provide some interesting dynamics in terms of because in the case where a, an economy actually crashes, particularly like say in Western Europe, and uh, you know people need an enemy, one of the I mean, this is what the Ukrainians are playing at the minute in, in Ukraine. You know, with the, the completely destroyed Ukrainian economy, a very useful distraction is war. Um, or at least having, having an enemy to blame it on and to distract people. And it's the same thing happened in Western Europe. Uh, I mean, yeah, there would be an obvious enemy that would be pulled out there. and I mean, it doesn't have to make any sense to people. Well, how are the Muslims in
4: in, in, in
2: western europe to blame for the economy but people don't think that far they just they're they're desperate and they want they're out to, for blood they want to blame somebody
1: yeah.
2: blame somebody for something i mean i'm feeling bad so who gets it you know so I mean, that's all to be seen as well so very interesting times mm-hmm. uh, anyway folks uh thanks for listening um and thanks to our chat chatters that's all, folks, for this week. Um, uh, I'll not say thanks to Tom or whatever his name is. He's probably got his head stuck in a... <laughs> video game. <coughs> Mind-numbing no video game. Anyway, have a good uh, week, and we'll be back next week with another show and with uh, all the latest shenanigans.
1: Talk soon. Bye-bye.
3: Have a good week. Bye.